Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I'll rip your arm off. You what? Get your ass back home, get in the gym, and figure out what the hell you're doing wrong. Why is it called the five-point move? I'm frustrated with the way our Greco guys from the United States are treated because they are good athletes, they are good human beings that, that want to win. we got to help them get there. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the 5 Point Move podcast. I'm Tim Hans, founder and senior editor of 5pointmove.com. And with me is my co-host, 1995 world champion, 1996 Olympic silver medalist, Dennis Hall. This is the first podcast of 2019. It is the first podcast back from, I guess you'd call it a hiatus. I think the last one we had before this was late August with the quiz game, the Wisconsin quiz game between you and Thielke. And so a lot has gone on since that time. There's been one, two world championships. There has been, I think, one or two tours. One tour, one tour, the Russia-Sweden-Havisto Cup tour. And now we're in the new year. We're a week and a half or so at this point away from the Dave Schultz Memorial. Come February, there will be the ranking series tournaments in Europe. First will be Zagreb. A couple of some odd weeks later will be the Hungarian Grand Prix. And then before you know it will be the U.S. Open since there's no other U.S. events happening in between then. So that's kind of where we're at. Hall, I, I was just talking to somebody about this. We were talking about Adam Kuhn's silver medal. And you talk about the run, how impressive it was. It was four matches, four pins. You know, everybody knows Kuhn's story at this point. He was the athlete of the year because, of, I mean, in my opinion, he wasn't the athlete of the year just because of the silver. He was also the athlete of the year because I think people seem to forget that in order to become a world team member, he had to defeat the guy who's been on the last, whatever, five teams or so. And then you throw the silver medal on top of everything. Obviously, he was an easy choice, I think, for the voting committee. But getting back to Kuhn in Budapest, I was talking to somebody last week, and we were talking about how it was like after one match, you know, he goes and he, he pins that kid. Then second match, well, I think first match was Poland. Second match was China, pins China. Then he's going against... Germany, Edward Pop, who's obviously somebody everybody knows, and then Kuhn goes ahead and flattens that guy. Then by the time you get to the semifinals, you you almost expected it. You know, it just it seemed like there was that kind of momentum. But the final, now the final obviously didn't go Adam's way. Okay, he obviously didn't go his way. He got launched twice. Felt bad for Adam, but at the same time, that was great for Greco. You know, a heavyweight final that was explosive and exciting. So it was kind of bittersweet. It's like, yeah, you know, you felt for Adam, 
but the, the sport at large kind of needed a shot in the arm like that too. I and mean, the last thing we really want is a heavyweight final. That's a bore fest two to one. Somebody got pushed out or passive pointed and that's it. I mean, it would have been great if that's how Adam won, but if you're going to go down, go down serving the greater good of the sport. Yeah, no, I agree. I, he had an awesome run at the tournament. Um, you know, I know the finals he, he probably wasn't happy with, but you know what? You know, like you said, there were points being put up on the board, and, and that's what the sport's about. Win or lose, you go out there and you give it your best effort, and he did that the whole tournament. So, you know, proud of the, you know, uh, way he competed when he was going through training camps, you know, there were some struggles for him. You know, I I was out at one of the training camps and, you know, he, he was working on a lot of little things and it, it, it all came together at the right time for him. He was very candid about that. I think people were, I think people in the United States who think of Adam think of him as, you know, the the guy the guy in college, the killer, and as if he's, you know, Superman. And even though he has medals as an age grouper, this was a completely different deal and his struggles were considerable. I mean, I heard an awful lot about him throughout the summer. And when he and I spoke after the award got announced, I knew this anyway. But the way he laid it out there, like in like I mean, just fleshed it all out. The doubts that were going through his mind throughout the summer, the the inner dialogue, you know, what am I doing here? I, you know, I'm gonna get humiliated, and and the mental toughness that he had to just like suck it up and then perform on the day that it mattered is just so impressive to me. It says an awful lot about him. In, in regards to his, like, just his overall character. Yeah, it definitely. You know, the thing is, the guy loves to compete. Uh, you know, I I just hope we can keep him on the Greco side and he doesn't go back to freestyle. What if, I think in a perfect world, this is what he would want. He was, you know, when I talk to him, um, he's such a great guy. I don't put him in uncomfortable positions when we talk. Uh, he and I don't don't have a like a personal relationship. We have a professional relationship, so I don't press issues with him, and I don't like you know nudge him in the arm. Oh, come on, you know what's going you know what's going on. But I I think that I think he'd probably tell you that in a perfect world he would do both. My question to you is: Is that plausible? In the current in the current climate, is that plausible? I I know that this was guys going both styles is a part of our country's history, but at this stage of the game, I, I myself the way I look at it is he could probably do both styles domestically, but it's not. I think it automatically diminishes his chances to be successful at the world level in both styles. I mean, in one style, like he's not going to. I don't. In other words, I think that if he Robs Peter to pay Paul. The idea that he's going to get another medal in Greco uh, is—I think the odds of that would be pretty, pretty low. Yeah, no, I, I think 
You know, it, it's definitely a lot tougher when you're splitting your time and your focus is half and half. I, I think, you know, you got to make a commitment to kind of pick a style, you know, not saying that guys can't go both styles, but you know what, if you're more focused on one, you're going to be better at that one. So, you know, when, when your time is split, you just don't have all the time you need to put into the areas that are, are weak. So, you know, not saying he can't do it. He, he, he hell, who knows? Maybe he could battle in both styles in the same year. I don't know. But, you know, just kind of common sense on my end says, you know what? You got to pick something, you know, and specialize. Just consider the fact that this is a guy who was, I mean, I know he, I, we just got done fawning over his silver medal. But that doesn't change the fact that he's actually really behind the curve internationally. I mean, it doesn't change that as far as, I mean, there were a lot of guys he didn't meet up with in Budapest. Okay? Yeah. That's just a fact of life. Now, I'm, I, will also defend, I will also defend Adam to the death when it comes to his draw. I don't want to hear anybody talk about his draw. Because if, unless you thought... And let's say you're, and if you're somebody astute, somebody who knows International Greco, and you know who Pop is, okay? Unless yeah. you thought Kuhn was going to beat Pop, then keep your mouth shut. Don't talk about his draw, because if you knew anything, you didn't expect Kuhn to beat Pop. I don't care. I'm sorry. I definitely didn't expect him to beat Germany. No way. I expect, yeah. him, to, I, I expect him to put up a representative effort. I didn't think he would get whitewashed. But I didn't expect him to win, let alone pin the guy. No, I agree with that. So I think, you know, no matter where he's at, he's just got to look at, you know, his future. He's got to think real hard about where he wants to go and what he wants to do. And he's he's a smart dude. You know, the guy, the guy knows what he's up against and what he's facing. You know, I mean, hell, he could even probably go play professional football if he wanted to right now. So the guy's got a lot of thinking to do. Do you believe when it comes to Greco, the senior Greco program, you know, the, the word that gets thrown around a lot is cultural. Cultural. Everything's a, is it a cultural issue. It's a cultural issue. No, it's, it's, it's a technical, technical and a toughness issue. That's where, that's where our issue is in Greco. You know, the problem is, is our, everybody thinks, everybody's teaching technique and, oh, you got to change stuff together. Yeah, you do. But if you don't understand the base position of Greco-Roman wrestling, you're going to get your ass kicked. And you know what? Nobody teaches the base. Nobody freaking has guys sitting still long enough so they can actually get the feel. And it drives me freaking nuts. Okay. What, what I'm talking about is nobody understands center of gravity control. And if you don't understand that, you're always out of position and you're, you're reacting instead of being able to attack. It's that simple. You know, they're, think, they're thinking we're not good enough technically. They're right because we're never in a position to be good enough technically. We're always leaning. If you watch us wrestling the foreigners, we're leaning a ton. The foreigners know their center of gravity better than us. So you don't see this as anything that's influenced by the periphery. 
No, I mean, people just got to freaking study their own body. Problem is, is nobody, everybody's chasing the next technique or the technique that's going to win them a world title when they don't even understand what the hell the position is, what Greco positioning is. Hopefully I'm making sense. It makes perfect sense in my mind. This, this is a topic you and I have discussed ad nauseum off the air. So knew which road I was going down. I think that there is a, I don't want to say a countrywide disconnect because that's not fair. I think there's a developmental disconnect. I think that. Oh, man. Yeah. There's, there's a huge disconnect developmentally. You know, we're, we're teaching kids uh, moves. We ain't teaching them positioning. You know, and, and until you teach kids how the, the the correct position where they can attack from 360 freaking degrees, we're going to continue to get our ass kicked at the age levels. I don't know. We'll continue this dialogue in the next episode, which will have a very fast turnaround. Uh, the one thing I was wanting, I was wanting to tell you, because I didn't get a chance to tell you this over the weekend on the phone, is that... I, I, I don't know where, where, where I picked it up. I, I was reading some diet blog about it, so I wanted to try it. So I went on a diet that was all red meat, all meat, yeah. for, for like a week. That's all it was. Like, no, that's a lie. I was allowed to have, uh, like, eggs. I was allowed to have eggs yeah. in the morning if I wanted. But every other meal... Was a steak. I had porterhouses. I had T-bones. I had uh, yeah. I'll, you know, what was awesome is that I I had a prime. My my father made me a prime rib. I went up north to go pick it up. Nice. Now it was awesome. So I was eating all every meal. Bam, 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 bam. Red meat, red meat, red meat, red meat, red meat. Yep. Okay. And then after like, and I there's I mean I'm tiny anyway. I, I don't know what I what am I walking around at? What like I I probably 62 63 maybe yeah. at most 63 maybe I mean it was only a year and change ago I was I remember one time I stepped on a scale I was 131 because I yeah. I I wasn't uh I don't know I had I was sick we all like were passing some virus around in this house for whatever reason so so I'm still like really small, you know, and I did this diet for like five days or so, and I noticed like there's no question I'm not, and, and it's not like my work rate is high. It's not like I'm working out like a madman. I'm hardly even getting to do anything these days, you know, other than core program a couple yeah. times a week or whatever, push ups for you know in between writing or typing or whatever. I you know go ahead, I'll do some push ups or something like that. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is that like, there's no question. I, I, I probably lost like over the course of five days, I probably lost like maybe I didn't weigh myself, but I'm, I do, you know, your body, you yeah. know, when you, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know what something looks like when I was in college cutting to 125, I didn't need to weigh myself to know that I weighed 125. I knew what 125 looked and felt like. Yep. Okay. That hasn't gone away as I have ascended in age. So I could tell that I probably lost about a kilo or so in five days. It felt like that. You know, you yeah. could just tell, like, you know, the lats the lats aren't quite as bulgy. You know, like, you could, you feel around, like, your midsection. It's, like, tighter. It just, you know. The only thing is, is that, and I had, I had more energy, but by day five, 
dude, I was like feeling like mad hypoglycemic or something. Like I was getting like the sugar shakes. I was like, what is going on? Like I felt all sorts of like messed up. And then so like I went completely wild, like completely haywire crazy. What did I have? I like tried to like fight it out throughout the entire day. I was like trying not to break. And then like for dinner, like I was like, okay, for dinner, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have like a steak, you know, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'd never take that for granted. I wasn't like, oh man, this sucks. Another steak. But so I got, I got my meat out. (laughs) 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 I got my meat out. No, I got my steak out. I go, I make this steak and I'm like, all right, well, you know what? Here, there's, there's, you know, my, my, there was, I don't know, my wife had made broccoli, so I go, I put broccoli on the plate, and I'm like, all right, okay, well, this is like, this is a solid meal right here. But I, I couldn't get that feeling out of, like, my head, like that, like, I, it's like I wanted to eat, like, five bowls of cereal or something. So then I had, uh, I was like, you know what, screw this, and I got corn, a piece of cornbread. Like, like not even like high quality cornbread. Like it was like my yeah. wife, my wife buys this, she buys like, um, yeah, the kind of thing you get at Costco or BJ's or something like that. It's like, uh, she, she buys them for the kids. It's yeah. like, uh, in cellophane or whatever. So I got a piece of cornbread and then that wasn't good enough. So I put butter on the cornbread and then what else did I get? I ate that and then, oh, 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 okay. And <laughs> And so I eat, I, I race through this dinner, right? Because now I'm getting to eat a piece of cornbread. It's like, a, you know, I'm getting this, like, I don't know, this yeah, ins- yeah. insulin spike or whatever. And there's, uh, I, I, my son had, for his dinner, he didn't even eat real food. He, my wife made him uh, French toast sticks, and he didn't even touch them. <laughs> so, like, I, I ate, like, a bunch of these French toast sticks. <laughs> and there was coffee that I had. And I took like vanilla creamer and like friggin' just threw like five. So you snapped ours, what you're telling me. Oh my God. And then I, dude, I, like, this is like uh, Buster Douglas diabetic coma level. And then I got, I there was a chocolate pudding mixed with graham crackers that my daughter made with my mother a couple weeks ago, <laughs> a, a week ago. That was in the fridge, and I just kept we kept forgetting to throw it out. So I like I took it out. I was like, "Is this still good?" I was like, "Smells fine, <laughs> dude." I, I I haven't eaten chocolate pudding in like three, four, five years. I I can't remember the last time I had like so yeah. much of this stuff, and I was in the best mood in history. Like I didn't even get like a case of like the itis or anything like that. Where yeah, all of a sudden, no, like, I'm, man, you just were ready to go. Yeah, it was awesome. Body telling you to get some fat in you. Oh, it was terrific, man. It was terrific. It was such a great feeling. It's It brought me back to, like, that, like, after, not after weigh-in feeling, but, like, that feeling after you weigh in and then you wrestle and it's like, okay, well, like, at least in college type thing. Yeah. Or high school where, you know, like, you can eat all weekend. Like, that was, like, the feeling, like, mentally that I had. I really loved it. It brought me back. That's good. You familiar with the all-meat diet? Uh, I did a lot of that when I was competing. I cut out the carbs, you know. Um, I, I would personally eat a lot of red meat because my body functioned well with red meat. So, I yeah, I'm pretty familiar with that. I mean, I'd have I'd have red meat and salads or just uh, 
uh, like steamed vegetables and that stuff, you know, and, and it really worked well for me, you know, but I cheat a little bit. I'd have a piece of chocolate every night or something sweet just because otherwise I'd snap and kill someone. No, you snap and kill somebody anyway. What my question is, is that when you're having red meat every meal, I shouldn't be presumptuous. I don't know if it's red meat every meal, but let's just say, did you salt it up? Do you put a lot of salt on there or no? I just cooked it on the grill and, and, you know, I, I didn't really have any, I didn't use any steak sauce or anything. I just like, you know, it was good enough on the grill. You know, you cook it right, it's it's tender and just great. I mean, you know, so I I did a lot of lot of steak. Well, of course you did a lot of steak with your quarter beef and all that stuff. I can't yeah. stop salting the hell out of everything, man. I can't stop. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think it's that bad. No, I, I, I don't. I mean. I don't, I, you know, as an athlete, when I was competing, I, you know, I, I would put some seasoning on it, you know, what the hell, McCormick has an awesome seasoning, Montreal steak seasoning or something like that. It's freaking great. Gives it a great flavor. Also going on with you since the last time we recorded the podcast is that you accepted a coaching position at the Ohio Regional Training Center. How has that been going so far? When are you going back? Uh, right now, I'm not sure exactly when I'm going back. Maybe uh, end of February, uh, beginning of March. Um, you know, uh, it's going good. When I'm out there, I love working with the guys. The guys are a great group of guys. Uh, the you know, Just being in the room and being able to correct little positional problems with guys and give them insight on some upper body tactics. You know, it's opening up their arsenal a little bit better. So it's, to me, it's been a blast. I think the guys enjoy having me out there with, with the mindset and the mentality of always attacking, always being in position and, and, you know, giving them a, giving them a few upper body options or just helping guys being able to, uh, defend upper body attacks is huge. Hand fighting? Yeah, a lot of it. Just, you know, teaching guys how to break position better and how to, how to uh, you know, a lot of times when guys are hand fighting, they ain't thinking about creating angles. They're just thinking about being heavier, blocking or whatever. You know, trying to help guys recognize blocks when they are, are battling for position. Considering that after uh, after February, uh, the, the collegiate season will start hitting its kind of its apex, right? So yeah, that's going to lead to the 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 nationals. That's going to lead to the final ten series and world team trials, or however, you, whatever, however you want to even say that at this point. Yeah. So when you say you might go back as of now, you think you're probably going back in February, end of February. Does that mean that leading up to the open, you'll be there probably, let's say more than once? Yeah, I think so for sure. You know, I, I, I know that's the plan right now. I'm talking a lot with uh, Nathan Tomasello. Um, 
he's kind of coordinating when I'm going out there. Uh, you know, I, I think once the college season gets over, you know, I love working with uh, all the guys out there. Joy McKenna's a big freestyle guy, but then you got uh, Brady and Dylan Coons, and you have uh, Fritz Shero who do Greco. So, you know, just trying, trying to get guys to uh, see the value in, in being able to train and attack the body from every position is huge. Represent your team or club with top quality singlets, board shorts, and two-piece uniforms from BarbarianApparel.com. Get creative with team logos and custom designs that make a statement on and off the mat. Worn by the pros and trusted by national teams all over the world, Barbarian Apparel supplies wrestlers with the look and feel they need to conquer the competition. Team orders and discounts are always available. To learn more, stop by BarbarianApparel.com today and save 10% off using coupon code BA10. Barbarian Apparel. Style everyone notices. Quality everyone respects. Okay, so that was the opening with co-host Dennis Hall. Look, it's the first episode of 2019. It is the first episode in a few months. And there was no way that we could go an entire program without mentioning Adam Kuhn's world silver medal performance. And more than anything else, I wanted to turn the audience on to Hall's perspective. In addition, we also had to talk about Hall going over to the Ohio Regional Training Center as a coach. That's a big move for Hall. That's a big move for the Greco program. And the more these RTCs start welcoming in talented coaches and opening their doors to motivated, talented athletes, the better our program at large is going to be. Now we bring in Paul Telgren. A lot of the audience should be familiar with Paul. He was a two-time national team member. He wrestled for Northern Michigan, and he competed for the Minnesota Storm. Paul's jumped on board as a contributor for Five Point Move. He is what we're calling him the technical consultant, which is another way of saying when it comes to describing techniques, breaking down techniques, moves, positions, whatever other minutiae that is involved in our sport, he's the guy. He's also the author of our new column, Lightweight Bias. And on top of everything else, he's going to be handling the upcoming Minnesota Storm Coaches Reports with the one and only Dan Chandler. You could also look forward to Paul being involved in podcast episodes from now on. Then we bring in Max Nowry, Mad Max, 2018 National Champion, took second to Hayeswinkle in the World Team Trials. Max recently had double hip surgery. We want to talk to Max about his timetable, and we also open up the issues surrounding 55 kilograms, how it is the most exciting weight, or at least one of the very most exciting weights in the sport, and upon its return last season, and how come 2020, it's again in limbo. So, who better speak on that than Max? After Max is his teammate with the Army W. Cap the Flying Squirrel, Ellis Coleman, 2012 Olympian, three-time world team member, two-time junior world bronze medalist, and like Nowry, Ellis has undergone a procedure recently. He got his knee scoped. He should have a fast turnaround, but still we want to touch base on that. In addition to his knee, we also talk about his emerging recording career. So there, 
Bang, bang, Nowry, Ellis. Then we close out with the axe murderer, the gunslinger, Minnesota Storm's Alec Ortiz. 77 kilograms. Everybody loves watching Ortiz wrestle. You'd have to be crazy, dumb, a moron not to love watching Ortiz compete. Because when Ortiz competes, you know something's going to happen. I mean, he's, he's a wild man. He just goes for everything, practically. I mean, he has, he has his, you know, his patented arsenal, that front headlock, among other things. And he's also one of the great guys in the sport. He's in the packed weight class. It's in a very interesting stage of his career. 2020 is right around the corner. So we want to, you know, let Ortiz talk about how he feels going into what is a very important season. So there you have it. We're going to go back to back to back, and then we'll come back. Uh, how many times can I use the word back? Can I, it's like that. Can I fit it in any more times? That, along with my other verbal tics, I mean, it's just a mess. Either way, we'll come back to close out episode 21. Thanks for listening. Stay with us. We have former two-time national team member and technical consultant slash five-point move contributor, Paul Telgren. Yes, happy to be here. (laughs) Everybody's happy to be here. There's not a ton going on right now. And look, this is the first podcast of 2019. We've had a bit of a hiatus since before the Budapest world, in which case there was a lot going on. Now we pick up where we left off. It's January and all we've got ahead of us right now is national team winter camp or whatever amalgamation of the wording is at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. And then there's a week break. And then the next week will be the Dave Schultz Memorial, which, whether fortunately or unfortunately, is the first senior event of the season for most of the United States Greco-Roman populace. So, Paul, I guess what I want to ask you first is, now, as a competitor, a lot of times throughout your career, you wrestled in the Nordic countries, you know, Habistokop and Haparanakop or whatever, uh, in December. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of our seniors don't travel. And so this is now the Schultz is their first time out since the beginning of the season, which I guess if you want to say the beginning of the season, season, I hate even saying season because I st- I know that in our sports we measure it, you know, worlds to worlds. That's a season, but you know, I measure mm-hmm. it from calendar years, so it's, it screws me all up. But it's how we have to do it for the for the casual base, uh, the casual audience. But for the athletes in our country who do not have as many opportunities to travel, and this is their first event, and we we are technically a few months in. Is this a great time to start, or is this a kind of a disadvantageous time to start, given that the, you know, you, you figure the Open comes up in April and everything else? Well, I'm a firm believer that mat time is mat time. I mean, it's not always the, uh, the A squad, if, if I can say that, but, um, 
you know, some of the competitors are very good. Um, a lot of national team members and, um, I'm just a supporter of mat time in general. So however the timeline fits in with that, I guess it doesn't really matter. Just uh, get out there and get the matches and wrestle hard because it's on our home, home turf. So. Well, you know what I always found to be interesting, and maybe this, maybe I oversell this in my head, but it's the fact that Schultz is in, you know, that's springs, that's altitude. You know what I mean? And it's like you have people coming over. I mean, the OTC only has like a gaggle of full-time athletes at this point. So most of the people competing in this tournament aren't in altitude. And every time I bring this up, nobody takes it seriously. But to me, it's a big deal. Because in every other sport, whenever they're going, uh, you know, dude, whenever, like, there's some team going to play the Broncos or something like that, it's like, oh, well, they had to come in on Tuesday to get acclimated. You know what I'm saying? That's a real thing. That's a real thing. Um, I remember some of the weight cuts I had, um, whether it be junior trials or for the Schultz, it was always actually very tough. Um, I traveled to a couple countries where, uh, I, in my experience, I believe Columbia was the worst in South America where the altitude was even higher than Colorado Springs. And that was one of the hardest weight cuts of my life. Just because of the debilitation it puts on your body and the strain. So that was a very real thing. I always experienced the first two or three days, especially in a hard practice at the training center in Colorado Springs was tough. Even being in the best shape of my life training at Northern uh, you know, the first couple days in Colorado were, they're very tough, pretty miserable, uh, just getting acclimated. And then once you were acclimated and your, you know, your lungs blown out and you were ready to roll, it wasn't a big issue. But um, to somebody that's never experienced uh, training in a higher altitude, it could be a little bit of a surprise for them. So um, definitely something to think about. And uh, there's no easy way around it. The second you get there, you got to start working out hard, basically, because that's the best way to get ready for it. You know, I know everybody's in fantastic shape and stuff like that, but, like, you're talking science here, you know, red blood cells and all that. When you go to somewhere that's in altitude, there's different cooking instructions on, on stuff. Like, boiling <laughs> yeah. water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just I I'm definitely a supporter of that. It's it's definitely a bigger factor than some people consider, for sure. It's 2019. Gosh, this was 2002, 17 years well, 16 years ago and change. But I remember the very first time I went to altitude. It was for a training camp in Salt Lake City. Okay, so I didn't. You know, I'm dumb. You know, what do I know? And I remember we were on the flight. And on the flight with us was some, uh, woman's, like, college volleyball team. And one, some passenger, like, some just normal guy who was probably, like, trying to scheme on the girls or something like that. He was saying to them, and I overheard him saying, like, well, when you get there, it's going to be different because, you know, it's, it's an altitude and you're going to feel it and blah, 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 blah. And that was something, like, I was like, oh gosh, like, I didn't even think of that, you know? And I was in mm -hmm. you know very good cardiovascular condition at that time. And then the first morning of the camp, which was the next morning, we had to wake up at like you know some dumbass time, like six thirty, and run five miles. 
Now, I'm not a ma- I was never a marathon runner type person, but five miles, like when you're in like really good shape, even if you're not like hardcore into running, five miles isn't that daunting. And that's easy. Okay, no, see, easy is relative. Easy for you, maybe. But, but like, <laughs> so anyway, uh, we should we should tell the audience about our match after this. So, and what goes on is that the next morning I wake up. You know, we meet at the training center, or whatever. It's like a whole like group of us, and it's like, okay, we're gonna run outside. We're running outside. It's it's September in Salt Lake City. And I remember it was like, dude, in the morning it was like 42 degrees or something crazy like that, which in New Jersey, like you would never have 42 degrees in the morning, like in like early mid September. It's just, I mean, we get cold here, but that's not like that. At, at any rate, after the first mile and a half, and I was running at the time, you know, so I was in somewhat running shape. After the first mile and a half, dude, I swear to you, it felt like I had run the five miles already. Like, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. Like, this is hell. Like, why is I, – I, like, I mean, I got why it was difficult, but I didn't get why it was so difficult. It took me – I think we got in on, like, a Tuesday. By Thursday afternoon, like, I was kind of starting to get correct. But, like, I still, man, that's like – I mean, you're only there for a week. So two and a half days of your entire trip are taken up by, like – getting used to it i mean maybe if you're an elite like national level world level greco-roman condition is not that big a deal but like i could tell you like it definitely gave me a new respect for it yeah that's about how long it would take was two two and a half days till you would feel totally normal at practice do you know that they definitely they have a supplement they have a supplement that simulates like acclimation to altitude. What is it called? Oh my gosh, off the top of my head, I don't even remember. I don't know, but I'm sure altitude. it's not USADA approved. It's not, it even says on it. Okay. It's a blood doping or something like that. Before, before we like just delve in, and we're going to have Max Nowry join us fairly shortly, I would presume. But before that happens, let's, let's, uh, you know what, because you're not going to do this with any sort of comedic element, because what happened is that, like, really the whole genesis of this entire story is that uh, even when you were a sprite, I couldn't tie your shoes. And then you got your hand raised and went on to, uh, establish yourself as a competitor, whereas I promptly really started my editing writing career. So here's how it happened. 2008 Northern Plains, uh, I think it was, uh, it was Waterloo, right? Was yep, Waterloo. in Young Arena. Okay, right, 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 right. So it was Waterloo. Yeah, this little dinky old, like, uh, ice, ice arena that's freezing cold that they put about eight mats on the floor. That's right, that's right. And, yep. Okay, so this was, I think, early May. I want to say early May of 2008. I am. That sounds right. I am at this time. I'm 29, right? I'm 29. Paul, do you know that I turned 40 in 11 days? 11. That days. age is just a number. Yeah, dude. When it's, it's we're still. That's easy. When 40 is like. 40 is a wake-up call away. Like, the funny part... I'm 29 right now. 
Yeah, you have your whole life in front of you. Mine's the the shape is starting to draw. Mine. Yo, you, you know, <laughs> yo, you know what bothers me? What really bothers me is that it's it's more of a topic for everybody else than it is me. Like I don't care. It's just that other people in my life think it's something like worthy of breaking my balls over. It's like it's something more yeah. for my wife to mention. You know. Oh, like, like, so I had no choice but to own it ahead of time. So, like, over the last couple of weeks, I've positioned myself, like, whenever I have to, like, talk to my daughter and, like, go point-counterpoint with her, she'll, like, ask me some kind of ridiculous question. I'll be like, well, Molly, you know what? I'm a 40-year-old man. And, like, I was trying to, like, condition myself to, like, you know, be okay with it. Because I, I, And ultimately, I really am. It's just that it. Everybody else, dude, like, I, dude, I know it. And, like, I, I told everybody. I told my wife, whomever. First off, that weekend is Schultz. So I'm busy. My birthday weekend. Like, automatically, like, that, I'll, I'll be locked into Schultz and everything else. Second of all, I don't, I don't want any acknowledgement. If only because, not because it's a 40 necessarily, but, but and any year my birthday pops around. I don't care. I, I stopped caring when I was, like, 11, 12. No, 12, because I got a starter jacket. Like a, a giant starter jacket. That's what I got. After that, I stopped caring. Like, I just, uh, I don't know. I just want it to go away. Well, I'm going to write you the biggest, most obscene, longest Facebook post you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I, I have it hidden on Facebook. So every year, every year, like, I, I don't get it. Oh, okay. It's bees or happy birthdays or nothing like that. Nobody knows. Anyway. Okay. Okay, so this is see without Hall, like I, I get to I, I get to talk more out of fear of being slammed down. Uh, two thousand eight Young Arena, it's fifty five kilo bracket. Now, like I, I wish I could say I was a better competitor. I wish I could say that like I was a better competitor, and I was like, okay, this is the end of the rope. I'm gonna go uh, like my I don't care who's in the bracket. I'm gonna go and I'm going to qualify for the Olympic trials. I wish I could tell you that, but really I kind of knew that I, by now like I, I didn't have and I'm piecing together like I just I didn't have it. like I didn't have the consistent training or the consistent partners and stuff like that. And I just at this point it's just I love the sport so much I still wanted to do it. But in our in my bracket in in our our bracket, so I see the I knew Nate was going because Nate had a bad open that year and he needed to show up to uh northern plains so i knew he was going to be there way ahead of time but i'm thinking there's probably going to be at least a like a handful of other guys instead i get there it's a three-man bracket and nate the grape over there he got the uh bye and it's you i have no idea who you are really not really we have our match now in all fairness in all fairness and, and and in truth you won pretty much every phase of the match now the the one thing that did happen is that I did get a reverse on you, okay? That was the reverse lift rules, where it was uh, what was it, thirty uh, minute on your feet, thirty seconds. Now you beat me, you beat me up pretty much in the first period. I remember I tried a front headlock, and then you wrapped around me, scored, and I was like, okay, well there goes my best move. And then I think you uh, you lifted me that period, right? If you remember, okay. Second period, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. I think you were lifting me, and then I just reached around you instead. And somehow or another, I was blessed and fortunate enough to get you up and over, and I scored, and I got that period. And then the second period, you closed the deal. (laughs) Didn't you headlock me? I don't think so. I mean, I would love to tell you that's what happened. Oh, I thought you headlocked me. 
Oh, man. And then that pissed me off, so that's when I decided I was going to bomb you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. But before this, before this even starts, let's go back to before the match started. So here I am, this skinny little white kid from Minnesota that oh, has no idea what he's doing. And you looked older. This guy looks like a convict because he's... <laughs> Tatted head to toe. I, I knew that you were going to have some man muscle because you looked a little older. You know, there's a big difference between <laughs> junior muscle and man muscle. So I was I was thinking for a second, I'm like, oh, man, this guy looks strong and tough and kind of a little intimidating. So just know that you had my eye before we even stepped out there. I was like, oh, man, this could be really tough. Yeah. You must have gotten a nice confidence boost early on in the first period, Ben. Oh, I don't know. I I just I remember thinking that it, it I I was nervous. So yeah, but you yeah, had, I mean, I, yeah, but it's not like Nate. Like you knew who Nate was, right? I mean, oh, of course. Yeah, right. If you don't know who the other guy is, like how good could he be? You know what I'm saying? Like you see hands on the yeah. bracket. I'm a non-thought. Forget about hands. He's got the what? The daggers on the forearms. That's that's the that's the menacing part. Of it. You know what the best yeah. the best part about the daggers on the forearms is that I got those tattoos. I mean, I wasn't comparatively. I was a young man to to where I am now, but I wasn't. I wasn't your age at the time. You know, I wasn't 18, 19 when I got them. Like, I was, like, I was already writing and editing. I had on, on the cusp of finishing my degree. So, like, I wasn't, like, a moron. And the way I thought of it was, you know what? Like, because I had, in 2002 or three or whatever, you had people saying, like, don't get tattoos below your elbow. Don't get it. You don't want them on your forearms because then what that means is in a professional environment, you're going to have to wear a long sleeve. And I was like, I, I was like, I don't care. Like, yeah. We're gonna go for it, man. We're gonna go for now it. Now nobody cares. <laughs> now nobody. No, now please. I got twelve all over my arms, and everyone's like, "Oh, those are cool. What's that mean?" Right. Right. <clears throat> like you have yeah. you have guys in offices now with neck tattoos for crying out loud. You have girls with yeah. women with like purple hair, blue hair. Nose rings are not even like you don't even look at a nose ring anymore. Like a no. nose ring. Who cares about a nose ring? I mean, yeah. who pays attention to that anymore. Back when I was in high school, somebody had a nose ring. They were like, uh, it's like they came right out of the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Like, ooh, you know, now a nose ring. Like every suburban princess in the United States has a nose ring for crying out loud. Those little tiny studs. Ooh, I got, I got. Look, I poked in the nose. Look at, look at me. You know, you can do whatever you want. Look at all those hipsters in Brooklyn walking around. Walking around with their skinny dress shirts on and the suspenders, and they got like all sorts of tattoos of like alien spaceships and whatever else. <laughs> oh, the youth of America. Yeah, the youth of America. A lot of these guys are like 30 years old, wearing, you know, vintage Motley Crue shirts, drinking craft beer, playing records, you know, thumbing their nose to the man. <laughs> They're living in a gentrified area where they forced a bunch of low-income families out so they could put a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, wake up, people. 
We're joined now by Max Nowry, 55, I guess 55 kilograms. You could ask him if he's 55 kilograms for the Army WCAP. Max, you had a full season last year. You appear to be in, I don't know, pristine optimal health. And what wound up happening is that wasn't the case. And instead, you got surgery. Can you describe, at least for the audience's sake, the nature of the injury, when the surgeries were, and how you're doing currently? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so not this past Schultz, but the Schultz beforehand. I was starting to get a – I had sat out of that Schultz, and I was uh, lifting with my coach – um alias gary and i started to have a bunch of pains in my groin area and we were thinking it was a like a sports hernia so we kept getting it checked out and there wasn't anything they could find through like an x-ray and uh the ultrasound so just kept wrestling on it and then finally after like a year of of running around with that we got mri done and found out that there was so there was bone like a bunch of bone growth on the the socket part of it the top and bottom and then that was scraping up into um my labrum which had a couple tears in it and then above that was a cyst so finally figured out what was going on there and um it's kind of frustrating going through that for for so long and but it was kind of nice to you know finally figure out something you know what was wrong instead of me thinking i was just crazy and the the pain was just coming out of nowhere Finally figured out what was going on. I want to say last uh, last February. So we're going on a year now, and then um, before Bulgaria. Yep. So uh, actually, it was I think it was like January. So it could be like a year a year ago from now. So we just kept wrestling on it and kind of tweaked the schedule a little bit, so where I was starting to wrestle one a days every here and there just to kind of give my hips a break. And then, um, and then the left side started to hurt. So now I'm having both. I have the same issue with both hips, and um, it was getting kind of frustrating at the time, especially when we were kind of ramping up the bulk of the season from that January until trials. But it kind of worked out in a way where I, my coaches and I sat down and, and we figured out how how many times a week I was going to be on the mat and what kind of lifting stuff I was going to be doing. So once we got it figured out, it was, it was a lot better. But as far as wrestling and it didn't competing, it didn't affect my my competing. It just I just had to kind of figure out a different way to train instead of continuously training at an intense level. Well, that's interesting to hear you say that because, I mean, part of what made last year special for the WCAP lightweights was the advent of the Ninja Squad, the stories about these in practice room <clears throat> wars and this all this intense training going on, that uh, scoring-centric, mm-hmm. everything oh, yeah, else. Ooh. And it showed up at the Open, The I mean, for, for sure, it showed up at the Open. But when you're going through all of this stuff last year and you have, I mean, that seemed, that seemed to me, and, I, and not just to me, I think the greater Greco community, that that was a turning point, was this whole Ninja Squad thing where the, all the, the light guys were killing each other all the time. So if that's what was going on and you're participating in it, even at a reduced rate, if you're doing one-a-days or whatever it was, your hips weren't, in, weren't enough to at least stop you from going hard to the requisite level you needed to? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn, so... No. When, well, when we first figured out what was going on, I, I was able to get a cortisone shot, which put me through the training camp in, in, um, with Yvonne out in Boise and then Armed Forces and, and then Bulgaria. So it kind of helped me throughout that, that those couple of months. So it wasn't too much of an issue. But yeah, in the in the room, the little guys, we were just going at it on, on a daily basis. And it was 
at, at the beginning it was it was kind of like we weren't really used to that that grinding and like a constant like attacking style and then after a month month and a half of coach lewis and, and coach mango and robinson just getting on us it became a habit and then we it was fun for us to do it on a daily basis like we we're trying to beat the crap out of each other but at the same time you know we're getting stuff out of it and after like a, a hard you know blow with each other we're helping each other out figuring out what's going like what's working what's not working and then you know switching it switching it up with other partners and, and getting different looks so it was it was it was kind of like a it was a special thing for us for the little guys because we traveled as a little unit and kind of grew closer as friends too um, and, and like you said, it showed up at nationals and then at trials, we just, we didn't show up except for Ellis. Ellis showed up. Where are you now as far as your timetable goes? I know that you're out for Schultz and I know that you're out for armed forces, but how soon after mid-February will you be back? Uh, well, uh, I got uh, my appointment tomorrow. With, I got to drive out to Vail for my checkup appointment um, with the surgery team and the the uh, physical therapy team out there um and so tomorrow i'll kind of get a better understanding of when i can return to the mat and start start wrestling and figure out when um my competitive schedule gets put back on uh online but schultz uh not schultz um armed forces is is a goal of mine that's uh that's something that i want to make happen I was actually going to ask if part of your injury was associated with uh defending from the bottom uh, yes and no. So kind of cocking my my foot up to to, to move around and parter was sometimes it kind of feels stuck. Okay, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I remember many times where if I were defending and I was really moving around and pivoting, I would get stingers like constantly in my hips. Yeah, so I, I don't know, I, like different positions, like on bottom, kind of trying to move it and cocking my leg up to, to push off the mat, that would, that would I get like a... I feel like my, my hip was stuck, but if I try to reverse lift or, or straight lift somebody, as soon as I went to like that squatting position, I kind of felt stuck too. So I limited some of it. Um, oh man. So th- there was, there were okay. movements that, that it bothered, but had it not been for that, like when I we went to Germany, I sat out half of one of the parterre practices, just sitting there watching. I was watching uh, Stig from Norway and Spencer wrestle around a little bit in parterre. And something out of ten years being on the national on the on the senior scene, parterre just clicked, and I came back home and and I was excited to wrestle parterre and and the my movement just just got a lot better. So I don't know, that was a big like just kind of sitting out and giving my hips some some rest and 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 still observing the practice after ten years, parterre defense started to click on me, or click to me. What do you what do you think it was? Well, the biggest thing, and I, tell, I was telling it to, to Spencer, like, you know, in the U.S., when you teach kids coming up, you know, to, like, op, you got to move off your elbows and stuff, you know, kind of that proper way to, that prop, yeah. See, for me, that doesn't click. I can't move. I don't feel heavy. You, when you watch the, the Koreans and stuff, they're on their elbows, but they're constantly moving and staying heavy. That's, that kind of style on bottom works best for me, and now it's, Things that I'm I'm learning how to break the lock a lot better and and keep constant pressure. So that style that you know being on your elbows and and whatnot they, that's frowned upon that's what works best for me and it makes me move more because you know when you're on your elbows you got to stay ahead of the top guy. 
Oh man, I could I couldn't do that. I feel uncomfortable just putting my elbows down in parkour. Uh, for no me, for, for for me, once I started doing it, it, everything just felt so much more natural. Oh man, I was no, my, a lot biggest, better. my biggest breakthrough was when Yvonne taught me my freshman year to act like I was on a wire. So if you're looking too far one way, you're gonna fall off to the other side, etc. So basically, just like let the guy on top dictate what side he's gonna pick and just stay loose with it. And I mean, that was a big turning point for me. That's what I teach my kids. I'm like, don't even pick a side. Don't turn your head. It looks, you know, look towards the direction you're crawling and defending, and stay centered, stay balanced, like you're on a wire. Well, that's, the, that's one of the best part about wrestling is there's so many, there's different things for different yes. people. One thing's not going to click for five, you know, five guys in a row. You got to, everyone has their own special blend and mix to, to each move and position. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's cool. How about uh, body type? Well, yeah. Yes. For, for Paul, yeah, he's got, <laughs> wrestling him sucks being on top because you, you'd have a nice t- uh, tight, like, you'd have a nice tight, like a high gut or a mid gut. And then as soon as he moved a little bit, it, that lock would go all the way down to like a low gut, and then he's sitting there moving because of the way his torso was. It was like he had he had like a really a really skinny waist. So as soon as he moved you off that mid gut, now your lock's all loose, and then he's breaking it right away. He was one of the worst ones to wrestle with. Are you serious? I okay. Well, parterre might have sucked for you, but um, <laughs> you know what feet feet wrestling was like for me. <laughs> With with you and Spencer and Nate all being shorter and strong and stronger than me, or not stronger but like more compact, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you and Spencer were the worst. <laughs> I hated it. It was like I I racked my brain for from 2008 until trials in 2012 about how to take you down or throw you. And I, I mean, I left practice so many times, like I can't fucking take this guy down. <laughs> like it was so frustrating, especially, I mean, you, yeah, you and Spencer and then Ryan Hall too, my freshman year. That's, that's what he, uh, he's, he's got the little crocodile oh, arms yeah. and oh, he's yeah. strong too. But yeah, it was like, I could wrestle open and free with somebody like, Jesse or Dimitri that were like more my body type, but wrestling you little short guys, that was hard. It was really hard. How about this is the return of 55 kilograms. It's still a big deal. And the worst part about it is, and Max, I don't know if you read the watch list with 55 to 60 kilos, but the worst part about 55 kilograms is that even last year from the open to the trials, there was legitimate growth in that weight class. The worst part about 55 is that by the time, like this year, I expect it to be an even better weight class than it was last year. And the worst part about it is, is that it goes immediately into limbo come 2020, which is a problem. It's a big problem because 55 kilograms is the most exciting weight class in the fucking sport. It was before it went away, and it certainly was this year in Budapest, except for Stabler's matches, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a beast. Yeah, it's a big deal. It sucks. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I wish it was still a legit weight class because it, it should be. 
it is a legit weight class. Shit, what sucks is that gotta, the men and women's freestyle, the lightest weight class is the Olympic weight. Yeah. It, uh, I, I just think it does a huge disservice because when I was competing, you basically the next year took 55, combined it with 60, and whoever could make the weight at 59, like Steve, he's huge. He was huge. And now all of a sudden he's making 59. It, it just changed the entire landscape of the whole the whole two weights together. So well, I <laughs> like I I don't like it. And then you got somebody like you, Max, that like fifty five was a perfect cut for you. And now you got to wrestle fifty nine kilos. Uh, it's so it's like it's like a the biggest thing I could think about it is it's a tease because they they reintroduce it and it's nice. I can't complain because it's better than nothing. But you get it for two years and then you got to make the well. You, there is no decision to make. You got to go up because there's you you know there's no other option to go, and then after that you know go back down to 55. So for now it's kind of like a tease for the little guys. It's nice at the moment, but come that Olympic year, you know it's gonna everyone's gotta move up. But at the same time, everyone's gonna have to make scratch weight twice, uh, two days in a row if they still stick to that. So I don't know. I don't think it's gonna be too much. It's it's no 60 kilos with two day weigh-ins. Scratch weight both days is a hell of a lot better than 59 night before weigh-in, so I can't complain too much. Paul, how would you approach it? Do you see it the same way that Max would? Let's say you are still competitive and you are a 55-kilo guy. Would you feel like you're having you're basically having it ripped right for, out from under you come 12 months from now? Oh, yeah. I, I think I would definitely feel like it was, uh, you know, it's it's a little tease where you get uh, the proper weight class for you. You're you're training and adjusting for that weight, and you get used to lifting guys, training guys that are a little bit smaller, like that fit into that category. And it's just a different, a little bit of a different competitive mindset. And then all of a sudden, you get it pulled out from under your feet. Like I don't think it's right. The one thing I don't like is that wrestling, when I say wrestling, I mean United World Wrestling, they say that they are trying to put forth a better product. They keep screwing with the rules to manufacture more action. 55 kilograms has a better chance of selling the sport to outside observers than perhaps any other weight. I mean, you could throw a few others in there that are exciting in their own right. Absolutely. But what we saw this season, and when I say this past season, I don't even just mean Budapest. Every large tournament, every ranking series tournament, where wherever 55 had a decent population, you saw exciting matches, cover to cover, great finals, whether we're talking Vabi Emre or even Tocti Cup and all that stuff going on throughout last year. It was all terrific. And now we're at a point where we're going to be able to enjoy it for six more, nine more months, I guess. And then we have to take it. You know, like, it just doesn't make sense to me from a marketing standpoint. And I'm not saying that, like, and I get it. I understand why the weight classes are the way they are for the Olympics. I get it. I'm not dumb. But there has to be, going forward, in order to save the life's blood of this sport, 55 kilograms or thereabouts, whatever that looks like, has to be included in the Olympic curriculum for 2024 if we're serious about selling this sport. I 
I don't know if there was. I'm trying to think back to the worlds in any tournaments that I wrestled um, at 55 or had watched. But I don't, I don't recall really like one-one matches. You know, almost every single match at the at the worlds had you know a four-point throw in there. And whether the matches were quick texts or not, you're getting points being put up on the board. Especially if you're watching as easily from Azerbaijan or the Georgian. You know, those two guys, that should have been the finals match. But if you watch those guys the whole tournament, they're making it the whole match exciting. That mm-hmm. that weight alone was, I, I don't, like I said, I don't recall, you know, matches going 1-1 where it, it's it's all put on parterre and passivity calls. Yeah, even the opening rounds had points. Yes. And all, all the way through the medal matches, too. Like, um, yep. the Georgian got the those two nice arm throws for the, for the bronze medal match. And then Azizli got the tech. You know, guys again. If 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 you're at 55, I don't think I saw really many guys not get get a, like a lift or score some type of big points throughout that match. And that was consistent throughout the bracket. Well, for my article, I watched almost every single match from even the beginning matches all the way through. 67, and I saw that almost through every match of every weight from the first four. We're here with multi-time world team member 2012 Olympian Ellis Coleman. Uh, Ellis, right uh, right away, I think I have to ask this before I ask anything else, is you went and got scraped, you went and got your knee uh, scoped, meniscus, whatever it was. Well, then, you know what, let's make a two-part question. First off, how long was that a problem for you? Second of all, what does your recovery window look like? Uh, my meniscus has been a problem for about like a while, quite a while, a few years now, actually. I still can remember the one of the important matches where it locked up on me at um, 2014, 2013 World Team Trials, actually. I was wrestling against Harry Lester. You can see it in the match. My knee locked out, and uh, I had to like try to fix it, and it kind of screwed me, actually, because I was trying to gut him, and I couldn't gut him because my knee was stuck. But after that, I just rehab and try to get my uh, quad stronger, my hamstring stronger, and I didn't really have a problem too long. And then it started coming back the more when I started cutting weight again and losing muscle. So now it's been like for this past year and a half, it's been a pretty consistent problem. So I just decided after work to get work done, and uh, I got work done January fourth. I got it scoped, and um, I'll probably be back on the mat at the end of this month, beginning of the next month. You started to feel it catching more often? Like you started to feel it? Yeah, a lot more often. Are you going to be back in time for Armed Forces? Yep, that's the plan. Um, I kind of actually planned around that. I was going to, I mean, there's plenty of time, you know, to be able to to get it, you know, but I wanted to make sure that I was back for Armed Forces, you know, to be there for my team because we had a lot of guys injured. And uh, that's pretty big. It's pretty important for for the Army, you know, to keep keep that that winning streak that win streak going right right off the bat two members of the ninja squad are out so there you go yep does it bother you that you're not going to make it to the unless unless i'm wrong but i'm going to go ahead and presume you're not making it over to europe for the ranking series tournaments no i was they had me put down initially and then this week they took me off um yeah i wanted to wrestle in croatia um i still think i can wrestle in croatia uh i mean given the time that that I heal and stuff like that. I haven't been on the mat yet, but you know, as far as the healing going right now and rehab and stuff like that, I think that I'm, everything's going pretty fast. So, you know, it would have been nice to go over there and wrestle in that competition. Uh, I never wrestled in that tournament before. And plus I know it's going to be good competitions. Um, just being in that region, that area, you know, all the countries that go there. 
I mean, it's a ranking series tournament too. That's also big, you know. So, but I mean, I go to Armed Forces, and then right after Armed Forces, I'll go to Germany and get some training and try to train with Stabler and uh, whatever other countries are there. With the ranking series format, now look at. I mean, I know your job. Your job is to make the team and then try to win a medal. But with the construction of the ranking series format, the tournaments, the points, all that, is that something that is that something that bothers you at all? Considering how it worked out, especially last year. I mean, last year what we saw globally were wrestlers pretty much like comprised into different different from different regions owning all the points because you know there was Takti Cup there was Vabe Emre in Turkey and then they have like you know their continental championships so let's say Asian championships so they had three ranking series tournaments on their side of the planet and thereby they earned an awful lot of points which is what affected a lot of the seeding throughout the weight class right we don't have it spread out like that yet. So my question is, does that at all annoy you? No. Nah, um, I mean, you're going to wrestle whoever you wrestle anyways at the World Championships. You know, the past <laughs> past four teams I've been on, I've always wrestled top seeds anyways. You know, the guys that won it, shoot, pretty much. Yeah, every year I wrestled the guys, you know, that, that, that were on my side, the guys that won it and got the medals. So, I mean, you're going to wrestle those guys all the time, so got to get ready, get used to um, beating those guys in uh, one of those big matches. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. Well, that was kind of where I wanted to go next. And I mean, first of all, it must have felt good to take out Lithuania first round. Imagining. <laughs> yeah, that, that did feel good. Um, it kind of, that match was crazy, too, because, he got off to I a mean, not, start. not in my mind, I didn't have yeah, it was uh, it was it wasn't any doubt in my mind, you know, that I was gonna lose that match. But like, I was down in Parterre for so long, and then uh, he kind of caught me at the end of that and, and got a quick little throw on me, a reverse. He did get a lot of time, and he was really trying to. Yeah, just when I let up. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was going back, hopping back and forth, and trying. You know, he tried multiple moves, and so just when I let up, he got me. But I mean, you know me. Uh, I always think that I can win until the match is over, until they raise somebody's hand. So. I just kept wrestling, and then I put him in a position. Uh, I was trying to lock up a body lock, and then he tried to throw me, and I floated the throw. You went against whom, whom I consider to be the best pound-for-pound wrestler in the world in the next round, in Artem Surkov. When he usually wins, it's it's dominant. Like He didn't have a ton of bad matches this year. He looked fantastic just about everywhere he went. And you out-wrestled, out-hustled him for virtually the entire match with the exception of that sequence, passive sequence in the second period. Was the loss immediately mind-numbingly disappointing? Yeah, because, um, I mean, I felt so, like, in that match, I felt so, like, I don't know, like, I mean, like, like I, I was forced in a pace. Like, I was on top the whole entire time. And uh, it, this tournament made me realize no matter what, you know, no matter what you do, they're going to put you down, you know, it's going to be 50, 50. That's how, that's just how the international reference is. You know, you can be totally dominant on your feet and pushing the guy around and without scoring, it's going to be 50, 50. And yeah, I felt really dominant. Just like, I didn't feel threatened at all by him. I mean, on my feet, not, not at all. Parter, he ended up turning me. I was defending pretty well too. And he, he got me at the end of that there out of, out of balance. But I was just, it came down to me being able to defend. But even in that match, I was on top. If I would have turned him, it would have been a different match as well. You know, I, I just, just, 
it's just like Junior Worlds in Hungary and Budapest. I, I lost to the Russian first match. It was the same thing. Like it kind of like hindered me or like made me dwindle a little bit, you know? Because like it feels like we've been we were overseas for so long, you know, training for a month, and it all came down to that moment, you know. And that was the guy that I I knew that I needed to be to win the tournament, you know. And I had that opportunity, so it was just like man, you know. But then Coach Lewis. Always being, you know, a good coach, a good mental coach. He got me right back up and told me, you know, just be ready to roll, you know, ready to wrestle again. And uh, I just bounced back and got up and got ready to wrestle again. Now, look, I don't want to get screamed at because I know uh, in your version of this world, there's no such thing as a moral victory or anything like that. But the fact that you had him reacting to you the entire time the fact that he, like I said, he is, I, I mean, until I'm proven wrong, in my mind, he's the, you know, out of every way, I mean, some people could say Stabler. There's things I see at a Surikoff that I, I like more. I think he's the best pound for pound. If not, it's him and Stabler one and two. But do you take a positive from it? Do you take a positive from it? I definitely take a positive from it because um, even with me being down, you know, in a rural set or whatever, I think. The, the biggest thing for me that I thought um, that gave the edge was the blood time. I was, he, I, we, we kind of got scrappy right in the beginning, and he purposely shouldered me right in the lip. He shouldered me right in the lip, and that's when I knew it was going to be a fight because I, I was mad because um, I was just, you know, pushing into him hard and shouldering him. So he called me right in the lip and split my lip the first, like, 30 seconds, and he looked right at me right after he split my lip. And so, you know, right when he looked at me, pissed me off, and I was like, okay, you know, it's going to be a fight. Um, and so that you know and then consistently going back to the corner getting my mouth clean back to the corner getting my mouth clean it, it kind of is it's like i knew he was so i knew he was tired and it was taken away from the match you know it was giving him time to uh recuperate and get his energy back that was the biggest thing for me just all the blood time it's about six minutes of blood time i, I should have been they were giving me more time than, than i was supposed to have to try to not to not dq me from the match and uh yeah he just had a lot of time to recover but yeah definitely took a moral victory because um you know, I knew that I had him on the ropes. I knew that I that I definitely could beat him. And uh, just about all the time, you know, it had something to do with it. But, I mean, at the same time, it's the world championships. And uh, whatever he did, he, it worked, you know, because he got a gold medal and I didn't. So. We are in January. You're, and I wouldn't say you're on the sidelines necessarily, but you've had some downtime, I guess. Now, look, you your reputation proceeded, okay? So we have a lot of mutual friends. And... The mutual friends we do have have told me on and off for, I, I don't know, seemingly years, how you're a gifted rapper, that <laughs> you've beaten, you've beaten, like, signed, I guess that's what you'd say, right? Signed rapper, yeah. freestyle battles, and all this other stuff. And now you have recorded, there's a couple of video clips. What's the song? Different Breed? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Different Breed. That was a... Uh... The last song that I did, well, that I recorded, the first one. Does this musical side of you, which has been a part of you for, by all accounts, has been a part of you for a long time. But at this current moment, does this, this gives you balance? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, I've always been a music guy. So uh, I know you guys see me like every single competition. Like uh, I'm always, I'm either dancing, you know, or, you know, making freestyle videos or nothing like that. But I use music to like control my emotions, like all the time throughout my life, you know, it keeps me, it definitely keeps me balanced. Like not even with just wrestling, but with everything in life, all, you know, adversity 
and everything that I have to deal with. But it's more than just some creative outlet for you. It seems like it's also a pursuit, like a legitimate pursuit. It doesn't seem like this. This isn't the same thing as somebody painting or building models, you know, like this is different because this is performance. I mean, this is exhibition. Most definitely. Um, I actually always had a, you know, like you said, I was big on freestyling and I used to have freestyle competitions with other guys, um, other rappers and other people just generally, you know, when I go out and stuff like that. But I never actually recorded music before. I always wanted to and people always told me to after they heard me and they just told me that I was pretty good. And so, um, you know, after this world championships, I was like, you know what? Like, what's there to lose? You know, like, I love music, you know, and like, I'm getting older and like, I have two kids now. Like, I definitely like, that's one of my passions. It's been one of my passions along with wrestling since I, since I was young. And so, you know, I gave it a shot. I started going to the studio and I started recording music now. And I actually been really happy recording music. I, it kind of like, I feel like it's going to be a big thing though. It's going to be pretty uplifting, uh, now that I'm doing while well, I'm doing it and wrestling at the same time. And, uh, I started recording. I made a, like, I probably all have an album, uh, here in probably a couple of weeks. So I have an album. I made about nine songs now. And then, uh, my cousin works for music. So he came out, uh, from Chicago to, uh, Colorado and, uh, he came and shot a video for me. And, um, you know, that's our first start right now. First take, uh, the different breed video. You got your start with this basically freestyling. So you have songs. Were, what did you have? Like a, I'm imagining you had a writing process. You're putting down lyrics and bringing them into the studio, right? I mean, is that how it worked? Yeah. Yep. So, um, I didn't freestyle these songs. So what I do is I listen to different, I just listen to different instrumentals, um, different like beats on uh, YouTube. And as I'm listening to them, Whatever comes to mind, you know, I'll start writing, you know, and then I'll I'll sing it or rap it in my head. And if it doesn't sound right, you know, I'll take it out, you know, and then put something else in and just along along the way, just keep listening to the track over and over and over and over until I get what I like. And uh, I normally, I'm pretty fast with it. So I normally take like, I don't know, hour or two hours and to make a track. And then I go and record it that night. Every single track that I've made so far has been in one day, same day. Same day, you wake up, you go through your life, and that day, you know, births a song. Yep, same day. I go through exactly how you just said it, go through my day, go through my life, and then I'm, I'll go listen to some music, and then, you know, I'll listen to a track or a beat, and I'll be like, oh, this sounds good, and then I'll listen to it and go to the studio record it. And so um, the, one of the reasons why I, wanted, I, I was so consistent with it, I was so persistent with it, I stayed along with it, was because... I was getting good reviews from it, actually. Um, a lot of people, because I, I record at my barbershop, but a lot of people, they were playing my music there, and everywhere, you know, every time someone came in, all the people were listening to the music, and they are asking who who uh, who's on the track, you know, who's that rapping. And a lot of them thought it was professional rapper, a new rapper that they never heard about. And then, you know, the barbers would be like, that's him, that's that guy right there. And everybody kept coming up to me and just telling me, man, you're really good, you know, like, you're really good, you need to do some with music. And so right now, like, a hundred percent right now. It's like, I've been battling in my mind, like, cause I'm still wrestling, obviously, you know, but I also really want to do music. So it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to do both at the same time and see, uh, see where it goes. So, but I'm definitely putting a lot of time in my music too now. Well, this is the same thing almost that Joe Rao goes through because like it's, he wants to do comedy, but he has his career as an athlete. He has to manage. 
So push-pull, push-pull, like, you know, you can't, I don't know, you can't spread yourself too thin, but at the same time, you have to do the things that make you, you, right? Right, and I think that, like they say, uh, a lot of people try to say, like, you can't do two two things at once because your heart, you can't be 100% involved in one thing, you know, if you're doing two things um, at once that you you really want to do. But, I mean, at the same time, like, I don't know, I feel like the music is uplifting and it's like, it's soothing. It's, it makes me more comfortable and it makes me feel better, you know, like when I'm doing it. And uh, I don't know who knows. I think that it helped out of anything, you know, because I always feel good when I'm releasing music. And, it makes you a better I mean, they, wrestler, Ellis. It makes you a better wrestler, probably makes you a better father and husband. That's what I think. But, I mean, who knows? You know, everybody has their opinion. All right. Well, look, you go do do your grocery shopping that we – I mean – Everyone who listens to this can hear the beeping in the background and everything else, or check out or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, look, it was good to touch base with you, Alice. We'll talk again soon, man. Right, likewise, man. I really appreciate it. It's always fun talking with you. Later. Take- all right, we're here now with Minnesota Storm's Alec Ortiz, the gunslinger. <laughs> the gunslinger, which I think is maybe – it's got to be like the top five or three best nicknames I've come up with because it fits you really, really well. Like you are the Greco equivalent to Brett Favre almost. It's like <laughs> you're going to score big points. And, you know, like Brett Favre would like throw an interception or two and Alec Ortiz throws an interception or two. And yeah. you would rather wrestle that way than – you know, play the game, close up. We could just pummel here for a minute. Just a minute. We could just pummel, pretend like we're trying stuff, but we're really not. But not Alec. No, not Alec. Alec, I don't know if you'll have a tombstone. I don't know what your plans are when you <laughs> get ushered into the afterlife. But if you have a tombstone, something like that's got to be inscribed on it. <laughs> like, at all costs, you at least tried to score. Yeah. Alec, 77 is packed. You're part of the reason why. It's a very deep, deep field. Six and one half to compare whether 77 is the deepest or 87 is the deepest. Both are two of the strengths of our country's program. When you look at – now, I'm not asking you to match yourself up uh, name by name with everybody in your weight class, but when you look at – 77 as it stands now leading up into the penultimate year before 2020 what do you see as far as it's the weight classes like relative strengths and and you know what if you can spot them weaknesses um well we definitely have a lot of experienced guys and um guys that compete really well against each other i feel like there's there's a lot of exciting matchups in the weight class, uh, regardless is if, uh, you know, one person is forcing scores or not. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I think I'm excited to just get in there and wrestle again. Cause it's been so long, you know, with trials being so early last year, uh, getting some live competition is going to be fun. So, um, I don't know. I think it's just, I'm excited to get in there see some of the guys that are maybe moving around weight classes and we're getting closer to the Olympic year, you know, we're going to start condensing. So guys are going to get bigger or smaller and, uh, you know, try and fit themselves into those Olympic weights. So 
I don't know. I would say just exciting. I'm, I'm excited to, to wrestle some guys and, and get some matches in. Your run at the Open last year was pretty memorable. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, you lost to the same wrestler twice, and that's Cody Pack. In between there was were some incredibly thrilling matches that you had. Big wins, uh, Hooker and Mueller and Porter. And look, and I don't I don't know how you weigh these things. I'm sure I'm sure third sounds better to you than fourth. But even with that, I would have to think at least at that time that performance had to have been big for you. Because it would certainly it certainly caught a lot of attention, particularly because of what you did on the backside of the bracket. Uh, it was one of those things that, as it was happening, I I 100 was not prepared for it uh, in terms of nutrition. I did not pack like anything with me. Like I didn't have any Gatorade. I had like two granola bars. Not that I had really much time in between matches to get anything. But I, I was literally I uh, stole the salt shaker from the concession stands. And I was drinking, like, salt water because, like, I didn't have any Gatorade. I needed something because I was just so – I was so tired in between each match because uh, I had to work really hard to win each match. I don't think I had anything that was a – I got any tech falls or, or anything like that. So everything was hard fought. And so uh, as it was happening, that was just like, you know, oh, crap, I'm up again. Uh, let's, you know, go out there and wrestle. Um and then having it end, losing to the same guy immediately afterwards was kind of like, well, crap, I just wrestled five matches in a row or whatever it was and, and won to lose to the same guy. I didn't really get anywhere, but I, it's it's kind of a fun thing to look on back now. I know definitely uh, that's something I can use as a coaching tool later. You know, little kids into, on the backside of the bracket or whatever age group I'm coaching, I can be like, hey, you can win a bunch of matches. I've done it before. If I can do it, you can do it. So... Uh, if nothing else, it'll be good for that. But, um, it was kind of nice to see that I could still do that. You know, you train to win every match that you're in and hope that if, if need be, you can wrestle a bunch of matches back to back and have a gas tank to do it. And so it was, if nothing else, it was nice to know that I could do it. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always have, I'll always have that. Like, Hey, I was in good enough shape to wrestle five matches with, you know, 10, 15 minute break in between each one. And, scored slightly more points than everybody else, you know. The weight cut isn't is that a major issue for you? No, I don't uh I think wrestling in college and having all of those uh you know two hour weigh ins uh or excuse me, hour weigh ins, uh it just got me used to making weight and being able to perform and seeing guys do it a bunch of different ways. I've never really liked the the big weight cut at the end, you know, uh, to try and be as big as possible for the weight. My strategy has always been to be in the best shape as possible. Um, so weight cuts, not too bad. I try and do it nice and slow. And so that way the day of weigh-ins I'm cutting, you know, maybe a pound, pound and a half. That's just what's comfortable to me. So that way I'm also training at that weight, uh, pretty far out as well. So it's, it's an issue that I don't have to deal with uh, in the same way that maybe some other guys who pull a little more weight have to. Do you think going weighing in at scratch weight in 2019 is going to affect a lot of guys? Um, I think it's it's probably not going to affect too much. 
it seems like guys are kind of figuring it out. I don't know that anybody's missed weight on day two um, when they had the two-day weigh-ins. And I don't uh, – I mean, I think for everybody, it's like getting that first match under your belt is, is huge. Um, so it's it might be slightly more important now with guys making weight, but we're all – you know, elite level athletes. I think that guys are smart enough to figure it out, and uh, I don't see it being too big of an issue. I'm curious to see how it plays out internationally, because those are the dudes who didn't come from a college system. Oh, definitely. That's the one place I think that we're going to have uh, a solid advantage. Those guys who, I mean, even if you didn't wrestle, you know, in college in that type of system, even if you just wrestled in high school, we know what that's like having to make weights. Uh, consistently throughout the year, having to make weight, you know, the state tournament day one, day two, getting that little bit of an allowance, uh, and those those overseas guys haven't had that opportunity. My uh, thing I was kind of half-joking about for a while is that we were going to do so well at the World Championships with the weigh-ins, they were going to see that, oh, these U.S. guys can, can weigh in like that? All right, never mind. We, you know, they won too many medals. We're going to change that again because we don't want them to have that advantage. Yeah, no, I remember you said that. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how those guys adjust to it. Um, but, that again, those are world-class athletes, too, so I can't see them having too many issues with it for too long. Well, no, and plus a lot of them are pros, pros. You know, they have, mm-hmm. this is their primary occupation. They can go ahead and hone in on weight, maybe a little bit more so than some American athletes who... I would I would venture to say most American athletes who have responsibilities during the day outside of training. Yeah, exactly. It's again for us. Uh, we don't have maybe some of the luxuries that some of those other guys might have in terms of it being their only job. But again, we have enough of a heads up, and we do have the advantage of going through that collegiate system, which, if nothing else, gets you ready to make weight because you have to do it so often. Okay, so let's get back to you, your style. You know I'm a giant fan of your style, okay? <laughs> you know I am. I've I've said before publicly, I don't know anybody who doesn't love watching you wrestle. You know, the best part is, and I'm not saying this in a, like, a, like elbow you in the ribs, ha-ha-ha way. It's like, at the very least, with an Ortiz match, you know something's going to happen. Like, it is not going to be 2-1, oh my gosh, like, this was... 2-1, and that was that last point was a passive point. That's how, that's how it ended. Like, look, it, there's going to be there's going to be blood. Like something's going to happen. Uh, my question is: We are in 2019. It is a very very important season. It's a qualifying year, and it's also obviously leads into the you know 2020 and the 2020 trials and things like that. Are there adjustments that you, in order to make the 2020 team especially, that you're looking at? If only because, like, you know, like these matches, especially let's say you get to the semifinals and then the finals of the mini tournament, next thing you know, you find yourself in the 2020 trials best of three. A lot of those matches don't end 15 to 13 and stuff like that. So... You know, is that something that you've thought about, especially since we are where we are? Uh, I honestly can't say that I've thought too much about 
changing the kind of the style of match. I think that's since I since I started wrestling, I've tended to find myself in those type of matches that are just a lot of points uh, being thrown on the board. You know, depending on the on the competition, you know, high school and stuff. A lot of times, I was able to throw a lot of points on the board, and that would kind of be the end of it. But yeah, I think it is in it's just kind of in my genetic makeup as a wrestler. So trying to make I guess get rid, getting rid of the, the dumb mistakes, maybe the things that are preventable, don't just try and force a throw or, or don't make something happen just because nothing has happened yet. Like maybe being a little bit more patient. Um, but as far as, you know, wanting to go out there and kind of make things happen and, and score points, I think that's always going to be part of it. The only, the only other time that I've, the only time I made a world team those matches, I can remember the best two out of three. It was a junior world in like 2009, being super nervous the entire time. And if that, if there was ever a time where I would think that that would play a factor, like starting to tighten up and you know be a little bit more conservative, I was still getting into crazy scrambles and putting a lot of points on you know on both sides of it, uh, you know, on giving up points and getting points. So. I uh, I don't think that'll change too much. Hopefully, maybe give up a couple less points. But uh, as long as I end up with more points at the end, uh, you know, I guess I can't argue with the results. No, absolutely not. It's always been, if Ortiz is wrestling, bet the over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and sometimes it gets, I can imagine it's got to be a little bit nerve-wracking to watch for my, you know, friends and family. I can remember I was watching, just watching some film myself the other day and it was getting pretty late in the match. And I remember thinking, this is the match that I wrestled in and I'm now watching. And I legitimately was like, I don't know if I win this match because there's not a lot of time left and I don't have very many points. And it was, I don't remember who it was, but I scored in like the last maybe 10 or 12 seconds to, uh, to go ahead and win by a point or two. But I mean, if I can't even tell if I'm going to win a match that I've already, you know, <laughs> wrestled in, and then I'm watching for maybe a second or third time, I can't imagine how that feels for, uh, I said, for the friends and family. You do provide very valuable service, if not education. And that is, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not breaking your balls when I say this, is that you are proof that you can score in this sport. If there's anything Greco gets criticized for, it's that sometimes there's a lack of scoring. You're one of the highest scoring wrestlers in the country. I would reckon to say that's a fact. I'm sure if I if I was so motivated, I could go back and parse all your matches from over the last bunch of years or whatever and come up with a very high average. So you score points. And that's a lesson, I think, especially to the cadets and the juniors and things like that just because mm-hmm. points can be scored like it happens like it it, it it doesn't have to be it's like i almost have gotten to a point as at least in terms of my fandom where i don't see like let's say an eight nothing match that ends in the first period as like terribly notable like i don't look at that as like oh you know that's that's a i mean that certainly doesn't qualify as a high scoring match how did that? How did those eight points happen? Would it, it, is it great if it happened because of like you know two fours or something like that? Fine, but a lot of times that eight nothing happens because somebody got put down and got rolled across the mat. You know what I mean? 
and mm-hmm. while that certainly has a place in our sport, and, I, and it's not like I don't mind. It's not like I mind watching that because I love, of course, I love all of it. But it's not the same thing as two guys with the principal objective of scoring on each other. Yeah, it's well, it's one of those things that it's exciting to see. Big, I mean, you hear it. You know, if you if you're in the gym and you just hear the, you know. The, the crowd make, you know, the ooh, or, or you hear someone's leg slap because they got arm thrown, and, you know, you, you know what that sound sounds like, and so there's an excitement that comes with it, even if you missed it. Even if, oh, that had to be a good one. I, that's, I know what that sounds like, that that doesn't just happen. That wasn't a slide-by and then a push-out or something. Something something cool happened, and hopefully somebody got it on film because that's going to be fun to watch. And I think it is, I mean, all the, Cool wrestling t-shirts are guys getting suplexed. There's not a lot of cool single leg ones, so it's an exciting part of the sport that people will want to see. And so, anytime that that can be, there can be more of that is going to be a good thing. And uh, I don't know. I just, I think it's. Um, I mean, we're getting to see more guys that are, are more exciting. I would say that they, you know, I know the constant rule changes have been to make things more appealing to the casual fan, and I think you could send a casual fan or maybe somebody who doesn't know to some of these U.S. competitions, and there's been a lot more action, I would say, that I've seen. Guys are getting thrown more. Guys are engaging more. You know, when you get to maybe this, you know, you said the semifinals or the finals, things might get a little bit tighter, but, you know, guys are still getting launched. So it's I think it's moving in that in that direction for sure. Where are we? We are in January. Alec, what do you have coming up? There's stuff coming up. There's Dave Schultz Memorial. There is uh, really not a ton after that until uh, the Open, I guess. Uh, what are your competitive plans as of this moment? I'll definitely be going out to the Schultz and competing in that. And then afterwards, I'm just going to look at the, the schedule of the tours, see where the U.S. is going, and try to pick something there that would be a good competition opportunity. I mean, anytime I can you know, leave the country and go compete, especially since we don't have as many tournaments this year, well, is going to be beneficial. Many. We have none, Alec. I don't want <laughs> to talk about as many. I mean, we're, like, it's crazy. It is crazy yeah. that we're trying to build Greco in this country, and yet we didn't have, you know, they they wouldn't let NYAC hold the Bill Farrell or whatever happened with that in November. That meant the first event of the year for most of the competitive base in the United States is the Dave Schultz Memorial. There's obviously not a Bill Farrell to bridge the gap in the spring like there was last year. So mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess less is still technically not as many. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like I'd like to get over uh, overseas somewhere and compete. Um, still trying to nail down exactly what that looks like, what works best for uh, you know the training schedule, and then what what opportunities are available. So I'm still working on locking that down. Definitely go to all of the domestic tournaments that we have. Um, but yeah, we're, we're still working the uh, the foreign tours out at this point. Not to put words in your mouth completely, but there's. Would you say that there's a high likelihood you compete in Europe soon enough again? Uh, yes, I would say so. I would. I mean, if it doesn't happen, I'm gonna be pretty bummed out. So yes. Okay, perfect, and that gives everybody something to look forward to. Um, Adam, <laughs> thank you 
for taking the time, man. Thank you, and I, I, I love talking to you. You're one of the good guys in our sport. And like I've said 90 times, I mean, a bunch of people really love watching you. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me, uh, having me on. This is, uh, it's always good chatting with you and talking about wrestling with people who know wrestling. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for popping on, Alec. All right. Thanks. Okay. So that was Alec Ortiz and you heard him. He'll be competing at the Dave Schultz Memorial a little over a week from now at the OTC in Colorado Springs. He also mentioned that it's a high likelihood he gets overseas. And you know what? He's gotta. And he's not the only one. Because after Schultz, let me tell you something. There's going to be another big gap. Something we could use a whole lot less of in this country. After Schultz, here's what you've got. You've got the armed forces. And then after the armed forces... There will be that bridge between the Pan Ams and the Open. You're not counting the guys who are going over to Zagreb and Hungary in February. Okay? Only a fraction, a mediocre small percentage of the senior athletes from the United States compete and train overseas. So that means the lion's share of athletes, they're not doing much. They're not getting enough matches. They're going to Schultz. After Schultz, the guys who aren't going overseas, their next event is going to be the U.S. Open. So think about that for a second. It's something that needs to change. On top of everything else, it's going to fly by. The season is going to fly by. After February, you figure you're leading up to, the, like I said, the Pan Ams, and then it'll be the Open. And then with Greco being involved in the Final Ten series, it's just going to breeze right by, for better or worse. That's, at least right now, that's what it seems like. And episode 21 flew by as well. We're going to be back with another episode right on the heels of this one, so look forward to that. If you would like to, you can follow Dennis Hall on Twitter. This is just tradition at this point. That's all this is, people. Hall's not going to use Twitter. He has a gaggle of followers. I don't know why I can continue to do this. Either way, if you would like to follow Dennis Hall on Twitter and not see him post, you could do so at Dennis Hall WGW. And as always, for USA Greco-Roman News, results and athlete perspectives please go to fivepointmove.com follow five point move on twitter that is at five pt move that's it for episode 21 everybody thanks for listening and we'll see you soon this show is part of the matt talk podcast network for more wrestling podcasts head over to matttalkonline.com Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.